You're listening to Comedy Central. Yo, quick question. You know, everyone's talking about like the four day work week and everyone's talking about like how you can limit times. You know what I realized the other day? I was like, I feel like whoever invented companies and like working and shit, they tricked every single one of us. Why do we act like the weekend is like different days to the weekdays? Who tricked us into this bullshit? Can somebody tell me that? Because then there's like, yeah, there's, there's two. There's only two on the weekend. Then we work on, because that's the weekday. Who said that? How did we accept this as a trick? They are all the same day. They literally, there's no difference. You, then they're like, you know, people who own companies are like, we would love to, but there's only two. There's only two of them. We would give you more if there were more, but there are only two of them. And then we're like, yeah, there's only two of them. Thanks for trying, companies. There's only two of them. If there were more days that they could give up, but weekend only has two days. Who made that rule? How did they trick us? Why do we not work the two or three days and then be like, the weekend is four days? Because who, who could tell me that a weekend is long enough? You have to like crowbar your Friday into the weekend. It's Friday, Friday's not even the weekend. Now you have to have like enough joy and energy to start enjoying the weekend, because Sunday you're stressed out about the Monday. Technically, the weekend, you need, four, you need four days for a weekend. You need one day to party, one day to recover, one day to chill, and then one day to prepare for work. I think that's fair. And then three days, we work our asses off. Then we go back to the four days. I mean, this is just me and these are my opinions. Three-day week. Well, why are we negotiating for a four-day week like it's a nice thing? Three-day week, people. Then they'd be like, but the economy, the economy is a made-up thing. Oh, shit, the cops are coming for me already. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to you from the heart of Times Square, the most important place on earth, it's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, America doesn't want to go to work. When to use the A word. And John Legend. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with tourism, when you cheat on your hometown to spice things up. As we begin to move past COVID, the world is opening up for travel again, but the pause has given some major tourist destinations a chance to rethink how they want to operate. For instance, Venice, Italy, the only city where drivers have canal rage, they just announced that it's going to have an entrance fee with electronic turnstiles. Yeah, so it'll be like the New York subway, but less flooded. And now the island of Bali, one of the finest and most Instagram tourist destinations in the world, is saying that as it reopens, it is also instituting some new guidelines. The Indonesian government says they now want to focus on attracting what they're calling quality tourists, those that spend more money, stay longer, and respect the Balinese culture. One government official stated openly, we do not want backpackers. I mean, yeah. Of course, Bali doesn't want backpackers. Nobody wants backpackers. I don't think there's any country in the world that's like, come backpackers, wash your filthy underwear at our pristine beaches, then go back to your hostels and spread chlamydia. This is what tourism is about. So look, you can't blame Bali for wanting to be selective about who they invite into their country. I mean, tourism is a business. If you're running a business, would you want poor people coming in and barely spending any money? No, you'd want rich people who can pay you to cook and clean and dance for them while they laugh at how weird your local outfits are. Wait, what? And honestly, I wish New York would start handpicking its visitors as well. You know, 
then we could kick out all of those tourists who stop in the middle of every single block to take a picture. You guys never seen a building before? It's a big thing with windows. You don't have to stop it. Who are you taking these pictures for? Who in your country is like, oh, wow, yes, yes, this is the best picture of the Empire State Building I've seen. Oh, I didn't have Google. I'm glad you took this picture. Like, you don't have to stop every single time. It's not something you have to do. Anyway. Trevor, Trevor, thank you. Just want to say thank you. Uh, I know you're doing your thing, and I'm not going to interrupt a lot, but the Wi-Fi was down at my apartment so uh, ever since I stopped paying the bill, so I'm just going to pop on here, and I'll, you work, I work. That's why it's called WeWork, okay? Thanks, buddy. That's not why it's called WeWork, first of all. Second of all, internet is not down. The Wi-Fi is not down. You didn't pay for it. And last and most importantly, I agreed to this because you said you weren't going to interrupt. What? That's no, the only reason I said yes. But that was an excellent take as well. So I don't know if you need like a little bit of a, because I, I agree with you on backpackers. I don't trust backpackers. You know, think about who uses backpacks, okay? Drug dealers, terrorists, children, okay? Three of the worst groups you'd ever want to be in a hotel room or airplane with. So I'm with you. You do your thing. I'll do, oh, I, your password, it was so simple. I just changed it to something more secure. Can I tell you, quick? Daiquiri. Marshmallow camouflage, three of the most commonly misspelled words. I also misspelled the word, so now nobody can hack in. You're welcome. Here we go. You do your thing. I won't interrupt, all right? I feel like I'm going to regret this. Let's move on. Thank you, bro. Honestly, though, that's the last thing I'll say is just is thank you, and I'll keep it down. So, fuck, this coffee's hot. Okay, sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> All right, well, let's move on, because there's something very weird that is happening on a street in San Francisco. And I'm not talking about that curvy one, although that is weird. I mean, get your life together, street. You look ridiculous. No, what's happening is that San Francisco is one of the cities where they're testing self-driving cars. And for some reason lately, all these cars are getting stuck in the same dead-end street. Nobody knows why it's happening, and it's totally freaking people out. They come all day right to the end of 15th Avenue where there's nothing else to do but make some kind of a multi-point turn and head out the way they came in. Now, not long after that car is gone, there will be another which will make the same turn and leave before another car shows up and does the exact same thing. There's some days where it can be up to 50. I mean, it's literally every five minutes. At several points today, they showed up on top of each other, these cars packed with technology, stopping in a queue as if completely baffled by a dead end. It's a little bit peculiar. Yeah, it's a lot peculiar, but I think what's happening here is pretty obvious. There's a Roomba in one of those apartments and all those robot cars are trying to smash. And look, I don't know why everyone is so upset about this. The thing that everyone wants is for self-driving cars to become just like humans, right? And now look at them. They're making wrong turns down a dead-end street, just like humans. We did it, people! This is artificial intelligence! <laughs> Honestly, I don't even think this is a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that they keep coming back to a dead-end. I mean, if I was a robot, the whole concept of death, that would be fascinating. They're probably in that dead-end, like, so the road just stops existing. Should we do that to the humans? Yo, I, 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 you know, sorry, I had to jump in here because I'm overhearing. But I actually think these are dumb robots. They keep going to the dead end. This makes me happy. Everyone's afraid of robots taking over the world and killing humans. These robots can't even figure out a street. You know what I mean? This makes me happy. Humans still got it. That's my take. Woo! That's a hot take, bro. 
Sorry, I'm not going to interrupt too much more, but... You know, everyone says like drones and missiles and watch out, they're self-aware. They can't even figure out a dead end, Trevor. I don't know who writes this stuff for you, but like, I got, I got word open. You want pretzel or anything? You good? That was actually a pretty good joke. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Bro, why do you think I dress this way? I could be in sweats, but I see the way your writers dress. <laughs> I'm here, bro. I'm just... Camouflage, daiquiri, marshmallow. All right, that's all the time we've got for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. The COVID pandemic may be winding down in America, I hope. But as society continues to open up again, we're not going back to the way things were before. And for some people, that means rethinking their jobs, which is the topic of our latest installment of Getting Back to Normalish. <laughs> Quitting your job is a rite of passage for everyone. Whether you're turning in your two weeks notice because you're going to college, or turning in your two seconds notice before they find all the printer cartridges you've stuffed into your pants. And America just set a new record for how many people are calling it quits. It's being called the Great Resignation. A record number of Americans are telling their bosses, I quit. According to a new Labor Department report, 4.3 million people quit in August. That's the highest number of people quitting on record, dating back to more than 20 years. And that's up from 4 million who walked away from jobs in June. Leading the quitters, restaurant, hotel, and retail employees. 892,000 workers in food and accommodations quit in the month. 721,000 employees in retail. Workers in state and local government education also quit by the there are more jobs available now than ever before in U.S. history. Many businesses are suffering from a major shortage of workers. With the 10.4 million jobs open, employers are scrambling to find help. That's right. More people than ever before are quitting their jobs. Restaurant workers are quitting. Teachers are quitting. Katie Couric quit being a journalist. And some of the numbers are crazy. 700,000 people quit retail jobs which explains why the TJ Maxx I went to yesterday looked like it was hit by a tornado. What? Oh, it, it always looks that way? No, the, the shoes were on the roof. So many workers have left. Pretty soon, every business is just gonna be self-service. Like, you realize you're gonna have to make your own food at a restaurant, or you're gonna have to give yourself a root canal, or even worse, at strip clubs, you're gonna be dancing for yourself in the mirror. Oh yeah, I like that, don't I? I'm gonna give me all my money. Man, the strippers in this club are really sad. By the way, can I ask you guys a question? Like, why is everything in America the great? <laughs> like, do you, ever, do you ever think about that? It's like the Great Depression, the Great Recession, the Great Resignation, the Great Gatsby. I mean, like, the dude got shot in a swimming pool like a little bitch. What's great about that? Anyway, you, you might be wondering why everyone is quitting now. Like, right now, why is everyone quitting? I mean, people have wanted to quit their jobs since the beginning of time, right? All the way back to caveman days. The guy who sharpened the stones by hitting him against other stones, he hated his job. He just wanted to dance, but music hadn't been invented yet. But it turns out there isn't one reason people are quitting their jobs. Because the pandemic has given people a million reasons to quit their jobs. 
Americans are looking for better pay, better working conditions, and more flexible working arrangements. Some have elder care and child care responsibilities in this pandemic. Some say they feel burned out after working through a year that had so many challenges. Three to four million people are still saying I am fearful for my health, for the health of my loved ones, and therefore unwilling to take jobs where the risk of contagion is higher. Millions of Americans worked from home over the last year and will likely quit rather than go back to the office. Anastasia longed to return to working from home and bravely asked the question. Well, why can't I have that? Like we did, we did have it. We all worked from home. So why can't, why can't I still have that? Because I mean, yeah, look, you know what? She has a point. For companies that had people work from home during the pandemic, everything seemed fine. They kept making money, they kept making a profit, which really made a lot of people wonder what the point of coming back into the office is. Like, why sit in two hours of traffic to then sit at a computer that has the same internet as my computer at home? Except everyone here can see that I'm looking at porn. I mean, honestly, I think companies are playing a dangerous game here. If you're telling employees the only time they can work from home is when there's a global pandemic, you're gonna have people trying to start another pandemic. There's gonna be people sneaking into the zoo like, all right, let's see what happens when I bite this turtle. Ah, okay, nothing there. Guess I gotta try banging that snake. But it's not just a desire to work from home. There are so many reasons that people are quitting their jobs right now. Some people don't feel safe because of COVID. Some people don't have childcare. Some people are burned out. And some people just wanna try their luck in Squid Game. I mean, it's a lot of money. You know, if you ignore all the people who died, it's a pretty inspiring story. But there's another reason people are quitting. And honestly, I think this reason is one of the most interesting because it comes from a deeper, almost philosophical place. For a lot of people, the pandemic has changed their minds about life, really, and what's important. And for some people, that means changing careers. A growing number of them are not jumping to a new full-time job, but just taking a break. They are saying, I don't want another full-time job right now. I want to hit pause, maybe learn some new skills, take a breather, um, and maybe plot a new direction in my career. It was a lot of reflection time. I know what I want out of my career. Might as well just make the move. 42-year-old Dan Nicolaescu had spent more than two decades in the restaurant industry. But he says a year home with his wife and two kids changed his perspective. Nicolaescu is hoping to trade mixology for mycology, mushroom farming. Is there money in mushroom farming? I guess I'll have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't always pursue only the financial side of things. There is no rewind button in life, right? The man that ties women to train tracks is right. There's more to life than making money. And the pandemic has forced people to reconsider whether their jobs were really how they wanted to spend their entire lives. And I'm not just talking about boring office jobs either. I mean, this guy was mixing cocktails, I'm assuming in the 1800s, and even he wanted to try something new. And I'll be honest, I think it's great that people are pursuing their dreams. But I also think we need like a Google Doc or something just, you know, to make sure we're balancing things out. Like, think about it. We can't have a society where everybody is pursuing their quirky second careers. I'm all for mushroom farmers, but I still need a proctologist. And those M&Ms aren't gonna remove themselves. Now, obviously, most people won't or can't leave their jobs. 
So these quitters are a very small minority, but the quitters are still having a broader impact because with so many workers willing to leave their jobs, companies are forced to make the jobs more appealing. A pandemic-forced power shift, employees gaining the upper hand and making lifestyle demands with employers hoping to keep them happy. Some companies are changing their policies to adapt to the times, offering more perks and flexibility. REI, the apparel uh, retailer, gave up their headquarters building in favor of creating satellite offices so that people could go to work, but go to work in um, a smaller office that would be closer uh, to their home. LinkedIn is leaving the office behind for good. The networking website says most of its 16,000 employees will be allowed to work remotely full-time. The crowdfunding platform Kickstarter says it's gearing up to test a four-day work week. The popular dating app Bumble closing its offices this entire week to give its staff a break. Nike, they just gave a week off to their employees so that their employees can really recharge. Yes, finally. Finally, people, it's great that companies are starting to be a little more flexible. And you know who deserves the most credit? Spirit Airlines. They were way ahead of the curve on this. Yeah, the guy who cleans their airplanes, he's been working from home for years. And you know what sort of sucks? What sort of sucks about this thing is how it's all the white collar jobs that are getting more flexible. Because I know anyone in any job can get burned out, don't get me wrong, but I would love to see the staffs of Kickstarter and Bumble try to explain how burnt out they are to a group of coal miners in like West Virginia. We had this one customer who just would not verify his email. I mean, how was your day? Carl died. Yeah, so you totally get it. I will say though, the one company we really can't afford to lose employees is GoFundMe. Like they better make the jobs more flexible. We can't have GoFundMe employees quitting. American healthcare depends on it. So look, at the end of the day, anytime humans experience a massive life change, it changes what they expect from their work. And these changes could be anything. Having a kid, getting divorced, losing a loved one. And the pandemic has done that to everyone in different ways. Hell, it's even done that to me. Like, I thought I was gonna host The Daily Show forever, but now I don't know. I mean, I heard there's a job opening for a guy with a badass mustache to make cocktails, and I think I might be interested. All right, when we come back, John Legend is joining us on the show, and we'll figure out the best way to offend aliens. John Legend, that guy is the legend. What are you, are you still here? Oh, my battery's been dead, dude. I've been enjoying the show. You do a good job at this, man. Well, thank you, but... Yeah. This has got... A future this You show. don't, don't be here for John. Can we get him out before John Legend comes in, guys? Do you have a charger in your office? I don't, I don't have anything. Do you have a toilet in your office? Yeah, I do. You can okay. use, you can use I, it. Because, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Just go. Thanks. <clears throat> I'll take the bagel with me. I don't know if you guys heard the story. Um, Demi Lovato last week was doing an interview right, Demi Lovato, the artist, and, um, and said that we need to stop using the word aliens um, when talking about aliens. But, like, not immigrants, like actual aliens from outer space, because Demi said that it's derogatory, so we should just call them ETs, extraterrestrials. And it was interesting because a lot of people, a lot of people agreed. A lot of people were like, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. We don't want to offend the people. And, and, and here's, I, I don't know, here's the thing. First of all, I love, I love Demi, 
like I've always thought that Demi is one of easily, you know, the best artists you'll ever see perform and just a, a great talent and, you know, but, and I, I understand what they're trying to do, but I almost feel like, I don't know, people want to be sensitive, but then some of the things they want to be sensitive about, like, like aliens, look, I understand you want to be respectful to aliens, don't get me wrong. You know, we've all seen Independence Day. When aliens cancel you, they really cancel you. But, but sometimes I feel like, as people, we're just changing words for the sake of changing words, you know? Like, like how the acceptable term, thank, thank you, John, like how the acceptable term for homeless has now become unhoused. And, and I don't know, am I crazy? I feel like it's the same thing. You know, it seems like it means the same thing. It's almost like people think if they make the term clunky enough, then people will stop saying it and then homelessness will be solved. I mean, or unhousedlessness will be solved. And, and like, I, here's the thing. I know it comes from a good place and maybe we have to try, but I also think we have to acknowledge that new words by themselves, they aren't gonna solve the problems. Do, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like way back in the day, way back in the day, Right? People with developmental disabilities used to be called feeble-minded. That's what they were called. And then doctors said, no, that's offensive. Right? They need a new word. And so then they came up with, thanks Enid. So then they came up with moron, right? And they said, um, moron. And then they said, no, that's offensive. And said, no, they're not morons. Um, they just develop more slowly. They're retarded, as in to hold back. I mean, I can't even, like, even saying that word now, I'm like, ah, you're not supposed to say that. And, uh, and the same thing happened with special. Like when I was a kid, special became the new word, but then that became offensive. And like now, I, I just learned this the other day, school kids today, when they're trying to insult each other, they, they say DD, look at this DD kid, as in developmentally disabled. I feel like at some point we have to admit the problem isn't the words, it's how we treat the people who the words refer to. Like that's the actual thing. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try, but it's, you, you get on, like the, the people, if people want to be assholes to certain groups, they're going to keep finding the new word for the thing. And it's like, yeah, you want to change it, but I also, I don't know, with aliens, I don't know, I think sometimes people feel powerless to make actual changes. So then they invest all their energy in making the small changes that they actually can see. You know, Americans see homeless people and they think, well, the government is too broken to give these people houses but the least I can do is give them a different name. You're unhoused. Actually, my name is Peter. Well, I'm not trying to get to know you. I'm just trying to make myself feel better about your situation. And no, I don't have any money. <laughs> you know? This is like, I don't know. Like, would aliens, you know? Would they even speak the language? Do you know, like even, because think you go like, we're gonna offend aliens. This is assuming that aliens speak the language. So if the aliens are smart enough to get here, either they know all our language and they, then they would understand it, or like, how did they get here? Like, this is like random aliens, just, you know? And then you'd be like, you are extraterrestrial. And they'd be like, we're actually globsglob. <laughs> you're like, I'm sorry, what? We're globsglob. And then you're like, oh. They're like, what's, what's an ET? Then you're like, oh, you guys never seen the movie? Then we're gonna play the movie ET for them. And boy, you wanna talk about being canceled. They're gonna be like, I'm sorry, that's what you thought we, we all look like? Why do we talk like that? <laughs> Aliens are gonna be like, yo, yo. Yeah, we were just gonna like talk to you guys, but now we might just have, we might just burn you all down. He <laughs> like, well, we just why did you put us in the front of the, why didn't we have our own bicycles? Yeah, we thought it was cuter like this. We just thought it was was cute. But I don't know, I look. 
I get it. I understand it. But okay, here's the thing for me. Here's the thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't try as people, but I do think we've got to be careful of being instantly prescriptive for other people to take on an idea that we've just like sort of made for ourselves now. You, did you get what I'm saying? Like, you can't just say something is offensive out of nowhere and then like say people are being offensive because people have to catch up. Like language has to change, people have to catch up. So it's weird for me. And please don't get me wrong, again, I have nothing against Demi. I think Demi knows this, but I just think when we have these conversations in public, because it's not just this. There's so many stories where people are like, oh, you're a bad person because it's like, no, you just told me a new rule. Give me a moment to like catch up to it. That's, that's all I think. Anyway, John Legend is up next, right? I'll talk to him about this. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is EGOT-winning artist and activist, John Legend. He's here to talk about his brand new initiative that works with local governments and communities to fight institutionalized racism. John Legend, welcome Trevor, to the show. Trevor, it's good to be back. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well. It's, uh, it's good to see you. You know, I was just thinking about this today when I, when, I, when I was preparing for the interview and I was like, you have 12 Grammys. Yes. You have an Oscar. You have what, two Emmys? Yes. And you have a Tony. And you have the Oscar that they took away from you as well. Well, that was never mine to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I was never going to actually get a trophy for that because they only give it to three producers oh, when you win. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, but so I was never going to get that. But I was up on stage and I was uh, shocked just like everyone else. But, but I mean, when it went down. <laughs> you remember it? Oh, I remember it. This is La La Land it. gets yes. called up, Warren Beatty and uh, Faye Dunaway. Yep, yep. They, they call us up on stage. And they were confused, too, because they had the wrong card. Right. And they were looking at it like, uh, this is not the best picture, but it is an actor's name from what everyone thinks is going to win best picture. And so they just said, okay, we'll just say La La Land. They brought us up on stage, and it turns out we never won to begin with. And it was Moonlight. What, what sticks in your memory more? Winning your first Oscar or <laughs> having your first Oscar moment taken? What do you, what do you remember more? <laughs> Winning my first Oscar because okay, okay. That, was, that was monumental. We performed Glory, yeah, me and yeah. Common, and it was such a moment. And we knew uh, how important it was for us to win on behalf of that film and what that film represented. Uh -huh. And for us to get up there and be able to give a speech on behalf of the movement, it was a powerful moment. So I'll never forget that, but I also never forget the wild. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about, about what you've done since then. Yes. Over, over the years, I would say maybe it's been over the past 10, 15 years, we've noticed John Legend shift from being John Legend just on the keys to John Legend out in the streets. We've seen John Legend fighting for incarcerated people to not have to spend time behind bars because they can't pay bail. We've, we've seen John Legend fighting for, for people's rights, for voting rights. We've seen yeah. John Legend. This shift has, has, has become more and more aggressive over time in a good way. Yeah. I, I'd love to know where that came from. Like, how do you go from singing love songs to going like, no, you know what? I'm also gonna get out there in the streets and, and fight for these things. Well, it came from all the artists I looked up to because I looked up to people like Paul Robeson and Nina Simone and Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. Interesting. Artists okay. who always use their platform to tell the world what was going on, not just in their music, but also going out there and 
funding uh, protests uh, like Harry Belafonte used to do, going out and marching with people like they used to do, singing at these protests like Mahalia Jackson used mm -hmm, to do. Mm -hmm. These were artists that I always looked up to. And when I was 15, I even wrote an essay. Uh, it was a Black History Month like essay competition. I wondered if this was true. Yes, and it's true. I wrote this when I was 15, and they said, how are you going to make black history? In my essay, in 500 words or less, I said that I'm going to become a successful artist. I'm going to become a musician uh, and, and do what I love, which is making music. But I'm also going to use the platform that I gained from becoming a successful musician to try to make change in the world. It's, a, it's, it's such an interesting journey to get into at the age of 15, saying I'm going to become a, a successful recording artist, not just for the music and not just for the, for the fame, but also because I want to use the platform. And that's what you've done. Yeah. I mean, your, 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 your latest initiative, Human Level. Yeah. It's a really interesting one because for a long time, people have argued that many people who are activists or many people who want to get involved in politics like to get involved at like the flashy levels. Mm -hmm. You know, who's running for president? Yes. Who's governor? Who's yes. going for this? Who's going for that? Human level seems like it's like, no, it's on the ground. It's not flashy. And you argue it's what actually counts. It's in the trenches. And, and I, I, I joked with our, our co-founders, we got to make local government sexy because what really happens and where resources get allocated, where priorities are set, you know, we, we, we notice the big bills that come out of Washington. Right. But even those big bills, a lot of the times the resource allocation happens on a local level. And so we want voices in the room who are saying, let's look out for people who have been marginalized, people who have been ignored before. You see these stories come up all the time. Obviously, Flint was one of the most famous. Mm -hmm. Recently, we've seen it again, where you get underprivileged communities, oftentimes black communities, yes. where lead pipes are poisoning their water. Yes. A lot of the time, people don't seem to understand where that comes from. You know, yes. they'll say, oh, the governor needs to do something, the president needs to do something. For someone who completely doesn't understand, they go, John Legend, what are you talking about? What, what is an example of something that people don't realize is decided on this ground level? Well, in Michigan, that, I think, was mostly a state issue. So it was a governor right. and, and their staff deciding how they were going to handle a water issue in Flint. And it had disastrous uh, repercussions for the city of Flint. But there's so many decisions. For instance, so many people have been protesting about policing and the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So many of those decisions about how we police, who we police, how it's funded, and what we take the funds away from when we fund the police. Right. Uh, all those decisions are usually made on a city council mayoral level. And, you know, you saw so many protesters calling to defund the police or to allocate some of those resources that we've been spending on police to other things that would care for the mental health and, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. and the physical health of the community, invest in the community in other ways. But how do you actually go about doing that? That happens in local government. For a long time, artists were people who were just artists. You saw mm -hmm. what they were doing when they wanted you to see it. And then slowly over time, you know, people stepped out of that. They said, well, I'm not just going to be the artist. I'll, I'll, I'll also live life and I'll, I'll speak out for the issues that mm -hmm. I believe in. I've really been interested in how you have also shared some of the best and worst moments of your personal life yeah. as a human being. I know a lot of people don't understand it. I know you, you've had people who've been against you and your wife sharing issues that you've gone through and whatever, but I'd love to know as a human being, why have you chosen as John Legend to go, I'm not just gonna show you the stadiums that I sell, I'm not yeah. just gonna show you the activism, I'm also gonna show you some of the most painful moments 
of my private life. Well, this is a whole new world, you know. Artists didn't have social media uh, 20 years ago. And so there's no blueprint for how this is supposed to happen. Definitely. But we've kind of, uh, our generation has kind of grown into social media, knowing that we have the ability to tell our own stories to our audiences. And um, Chrissy and I, uh, we don't share everything, but we do share some of our personal lives and some of the tragedy that we've experienced. And we experienced a, a miscarriage last year, right. and it was really tough. But one of the most powerful aspects about it was knowing that us sharing it made other people feel more comfortable talking about right. it. Because so many families have gone through this. So many women have gone through this. And they felt seen, they felt heard, they felt validated in their own experience by seeing someone with such a huge platform talk about hers. Uh, before I let you go, if people want to get involved in this new initiative, if people want to take action, if people want to get involved in the, as you say, the grassroots movements that'll actually change how their cities work, what can they do? How can they help Human Level? So they can visit our website, humanlevel.org. We just launched it. We, uh, in, the, in the site, we describe the work that we're doing and the fellows that we're working with mm -hmm. and the cities we're working in, and folks can get involved. And we want people to get involved and realize how much the local leaders matter in your community. And if you don't want to get involved in actually doing that kind of work, at least pay attention to what's happening in, lo in local elections because folks on the other side are definitely doing that. They're going to school board meetings. They're making sure uh, that uh, elections officials are, are changing mm -hmm. in those communities. We need to also, uh, voices for inclusion, voices for progressive values need to also be concerned about what's happening locally because so much of that impacts our daily lives. Well, as always, my friend, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Ain't Too Proud returns to Broadway on October 16th, and this man is part of the team that's putting it on. For more information on John's new initiative, go to the website below. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, if you're in Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia this weekend, my Back to Abnormal comedy tour is gonna be in your city. Head to backtoabnormaltour.com to get your tickets. Until next week, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you're the last one left at your job, well, technically, now you're the boss. Just stay and give yourself a raise. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. Is it, is it working? Yeah. <laughs> one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Once I caught a fish alive. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Then I let it go again. Why did I let it go? Because it bit my finger so. Which finger did it bite? This little finger on my right. <laughs> Was that a freestyle right now? I mean, that's just me doing my thing, man. You know, just top of the dome. Wait, you guys don't know that rhyme from kids? No. No. Oh, shit. That's, yeah, we used to, that was like a thing we used to sing as kids. One, two, three, four, five. Once I caught a fish alive. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then I let him go again. Wait, why did you let him go? Because he bit my finger so. Which finger did he bite? That little finger on my right. <laughs> Forever our sound checks. <laughs> <laughs>